going on it's chris carino this is the voice of the nets podcast the baggy day edition as we clean out our lockers from the 22-23 season and look back on what was what is and what will be and to do that who better to turn to than my radio partner nets analyst for over two decades tim cabstraw and of course the fantastic yes analyst on nets broadcasts uh for nearly a decade as well right now. She's been with us every day since the team moved to Brooklyn. It is the great Sarah Kustak. Kus and the Capper joining us. Ooh. Well, I like that. Kus and the Capper. Sounds like a show. Yes. I'm honored. I'm honored to be on with both of you. You've done a tremendous job throughout the course of this postseason, recapping each game, setting us up for them. I just see Capper. I wish I wish we had another one. I wish I wish we had more. I wish we had more. I wish I was previewing rather than reviewing. Yes, and yes. Uh, we should be getting ready to drive to Philadelphia. Yeah, and I, and I said I was disappointed. I not that I I was disappointed not to be working with the Capper, but I would game five. I would have been on TV <laughs> with Sarah, so I was very. <laughs> disappointed not to have that, that I was that, that, that ride with you there Sarah um and the great thing about when you when you I got a chance now to go back and do some TV this year um and the great thing about when you work with Sarah is especially at Barclays Center games is that people just bring her candy and as you know that is the way to Sarah's heart is just bring candy mm-hmm. it is um it's That's also it the way to a stomach ache during the game because it's just mm-hmm. constant you don't realize how much you're eating but anyway, we digress. So let's get into it. Let's get into this. And we're not going to hand out grades. I don't, I don't, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do the, you know, uh, keep them or cut them kind of lists or anything like that. But we're just going to have a conversation about this season that was and what's going on and where we're going from here. And, and, and listen, we've been through so many crazy seasons, but I, I don't know if anything reached the level of, of this season, if you go back to the off season and I'm gen and, and it starts in the off season, I'm genuinely excited and we'll get into what's going to happen this off season. But when you think of where we started back in, you know, with the, 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 the things that came up in the off season to where we finished, I mean, it really does feel like it was more than one season. Doesn't it, Sarah? It feels like we, we went through about four seasons this season. At least. And I think throughout the course of it, you, at time I did, I will at least say, forgot the different iterations that you yeah. went through because it is about in the course of a season continuing to move, move forward, how much change occurred and how much change, to your point, back in the offseason to think about the Kevin Durant trade request, to think about the circumstances with Kyrie Irving. Um, as you move forward into the season, I can recall, it feels like yesterday I was sitting at media day. I don't know if it feels like yesterday or 10 years ago, but sitting at media day, what the roster looked like, the expectations, the hope, um, and of course, everything that followed, including some really, really high moments, the win streak, the stretch where what the Nets went 18 and two, and they looked like a world beater and the runaway favorites to contend for a title. And obviously... I don't need to document all that followed, but to think about the point where we're at here today, there certainly is a lot to pick apart, a lot to dissect, and a, a lot to consider as you get set for another offseason. 
You know, you mentioned that stretch of, you know, 18 and two and, and that stretch where it looked like they were contenders. I think that kind of summed up the last three years, uh, you know, in, in going in, in the Harden, Durant, Kyrie, there were glimpses, there were weeks where it looked like it was going to work. And I think that was the frustration. You know, it was it just never could it just never could be sustained. Um, so when you go back now where we are, um, you know, let's just touch on on what ended up happening because you go through it when it was 18, that 18 and two stretch you're talking about, Sarah, it looked like, yes, that was going to be it. Like that team, you know, probably was a version of the team that got swept by the Celtics last year, only better. You know, you had players like Royce O'Neal coming into the fold. Uh, Nick Claxton's playing at, at another level. He was an afterthought a year ago. So you're thinking, yeah, with this group, man, they're ready to go. And then of course, we know it ends with the Durant injury, which was another common refrain. You know, it, it was all going well. And then Durant got injured. That's, that's happened. That was, that happened a few times. Um, and then Kyrie Irving is finally seems to get it. And he's playing incredibly well at an all NBA level. And then he decides to ask out. And now you get to a point where suddenly the Nets make those moves and Capper probably the, 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 the haul they got back for those players um, has set themselves up now to, to have an interesting, you know, postseason coming up here and off season. Yeah. And, and that's what, um, that's what you've got to evaluate right now. And, and uh, they have some, they have some, some options. I, I don't know what's best. I think there's multiple different ways they can go, but the fact that they've given themselves in a really difficult time, they gave themselves some flexibility right now, I, I think was just a, a very, very good job in a difficult situation. So what? let's, let's uh, get a little more structured here. Let's go back to the playoff series. Let's analyze what we saw in the Sixer series um, and, and now how that has you thinking about this team. Uh, it seemed on paper and with all the pundits, the Nets did not have a chance against the Sixers. And it worked out to be a four-game sweep. But for, you know, aside from the first game, you know, the Nets had a chance. And you could make a case in, in all three games, games two, three, and four, the Nets should have won those games. They were in a position at some point for a stretch of that game where you did feel like they were going to win the game. So, Sarah, when you look back on the series, what stood out to you about this net group that gave them a chance and maybe things could have worked out differently? I think the thing that stood out most is that, one, you have a group of individuals that you want to root for, that want to play for one another, that are unselfish, and they are players that want to do whatever's best to win. However, so many of the areas in which they struggled or areas that, that they got hurt against this Philadelphia team, to me, felt like a lot of correctable area, areas, which added to the frustration. Um, I think many players, and, and you could point to Bridges out of the gates, you know, taking on different roles, larger roles, more responsibility, and that kind of trickled down the line. But I think for as much as the Nets did an excellent job 
with dealing with some of whether the demands, the circumstances that occurred leading into the trade deadline, there were still very big gaps within the course of this lineup. And and one of those was in the front court. One of those was fortifying how to take care of the glass. One of those was what are you going to do when you face a big, I think, Most notably, you look at the top teams in the Eastern Conference, um, but no question, you look at Philadelphia and, okay, how do you handle Joel Embiid? And so going into the series, what the Nets were able to do um, and how they structured their defensive game plan to start with things, I think it also lended themselves to a lot of vulnerabilities in the areas of which they may have weaknesses. And so as you went throughout the course of the series, the opportunity to make adjustments, what adjustments were and were not made, um, it allowed the Sixers to continue to thrive. And I think the Sixers, you could point to Joel Embiid, you can point to Tyrese Maxey. He's a player who has continued to flourish in front of our eyes, you know, in his third year, just how he continues to grow. But all of that also was off the foundation of Philadelphia was deep and their bench helped a lot. The second unit of players that came in, Um, There was guys that Doc Rivers were able to utilize in areas that I think hurt the Nets. And when the Nets had those opportunities, when they may have had leads or they could go on runs, whether it was turnovers, whether it was giving up offensive rebounds, all of those things tended to be at some of the worst moments um, that catapulted a Philadelphia team who believes they themselves are contenders. And so it was not an easy match. It was not an easy matchup, but I think some of the uncertainty, whether with lineup combinations, rotations for Jack Vaughn with the short runway, with the new players and new group, those players getting accustomed to one another, and maybe each of those players playing a larger role, having more responsibility than what they did in the past. I think in, in many cases, that's where they faltered. And that's where those gaps that were so narrow and a small margin um, of error already, I think that's where it widened. Cabra, I mean, we've, we talked about it on radio numerous times. I mean, it just seemed like a lot of the things that popped up during the course of the regular season, inability to close out games, inability to keep teams off the offensive glass. Uh, these are all things that did rear themselves, uh, you know, rear their heads at the worst possible moments, as you were saying, Sarah. I mean, we talk about all the time, you've got to go out and win playoff games. You know, they don't give you playoff games. You have to go out and win them. So when you've got a chance to, Uh, keep a team off the offensive glass. When you've got a chance to make one of those threes that just changes the energy in the building, you've got to go out and do those things. They just didn't do those things in the series. Yeah, there were too many times when there are open threes or available threes that, even when they're playing well, maybe they're up five or six or seven and it could have gotten to nine or 10. Those were the ones that you said, oh, that would give them great separation because you knew you needed a bit of a pad going down the stretch of these games. The amazing thing to me was, and obviously this group needs to rebound the ball better. You need need to uh, bring in some, toughness and some rebounding, I'm sure, and maybe adjust some of the schemes you do defensively. But the Nets actually played good enough defense and even with the lack of rebounding, probably good enough to win maybe, you know, three of the games, maybe not all four, but three of them. And and I'll go back to the, now I'll go to the offensive side of the floor. It's just, I just think there's a difference between, there's a, big gap between the really great players in the NBA 
and the pretty good players and the good players. And I think you saw that um, with with the 76ers. I mean, they were able to go in their game four to a guy who's maybe now considered their fourth best option than Tobias Harris, and he could own the game for big portions of that game. I, I do think the Nets did everything. They're, they're a great team to watch. They have interesting parts, but that talent thing does matter. And how you're going to get to that level of ability that you can, especially in the playoffs, because you get bogged down often and you spend to see a lot of these teams targeting guys. And when you target guys, it slows you down. Well, if you target a guy, slow down and then can't, can't, can't go at the guy or make a play for yourself or teammates, then your offense, it, it gets very, very stale. So I, I am just curious where you go with the, you know, we just talked about defense and rebounding. We know that. Uh, offensively, how can this team continue to uh, evolve? Uh, I think it's got to it's got to get some additional help. No yeah, doubt I, about I, it. You know, we we talked about how when this team came together after the all star after the all star break after the trade deadline, there were a lot of really uh, uh, players that have defensive reputations. You know, the kind of players that you put on the other team's best player to try and slow them down. Right. So we looked at it. Uh, we looked at guys like Mikel Bridges and Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal and uh, Cam Johnson and even Spencer Dinwiddie, who's got good size for you know, and a, a plus defender at his position. And we saw Nick Claxton being a defensive player of the year candidate this year. And we thought, wow, if anything, this team's going to be able to really defend people. And the metrics didn't, didn't show that in the last two months of the season. I was a bit surprised at that. You know, I always felt that, um, if anything, this team's going to be able to defend people. And listen, in the playoffs, like you mentioned, Capper, you know, those there were three games there where the Nets, if you said they're going to hold the Sixers to under 105 points, like, you're going to have a chance. You know, we knew they'd struggle a little bit offensively. I just never, Sarah, saw them play defense at the level that, that we, we thought they were going to be able to play. I agree, C, but I'll keep it simplistic. And I don't know if this crosses all the games or all the plays or all the possessions, but there's two things with that that stand out to me most, which I would lend itself to why. One is anytime you're doing something new, whether it's schematically how you want to play, who you're playing next to, the nuances of that. You both know this because you see it all the time. And it, it may be the expectation for this wouldn't be that it, it lasted as long as it did defensively, you you can't think. You've got to be reacting, yeah. and you've got to be reacting before while you're watching a play develop. And the instincts, the instinctual nature that comes with that, if you want to pressure, if you want to disrupt, if you want to shoot the gaps, all of these things that Jacques Vaughn was asking of these players and how they played. Uh, to me, that's, if you're still thinking about what you want to do, thinking about your scheme, is, is this guy going to make a read? Like it's not for as much as you want to talk about, oh, this team switches one through five, or this is what we're running or when yeah. w personnel wise, you still, there's gray in all situations in every team, every offense is trying to counter the things you're doing defensively. So there's still decisions to be made that I think that's why it matters in the preseason. That's why it matters as you go through the course of the season to have a feel of what a guy's going to do when or, okay, we're, we're going to switch on this player, but we're going under on this guy, all of that stuff. And I think when there's that many new players added to the mix, 
one that makes that really challenging. And I think that was exposed. And I think secondly, we saw, to me, the rebounding component is the biggest part of that because when you're switching, when you're in rotation, when you're out of position, it makes it even harder to make sure you're finding a guy and getting someone out. And I think it was identified by all of these other teams and the scouting and the personnel. That's an area of weakness for the Nets. So not only are we going to try and exploit it, but we're sending extra guys in. Normally we're not, that's what Philadelphia, they're not a team that got a lot of offensive, they're an excellent shooting team. Don't get me wrong. Like, was there a lot of rebounds to be had throughout the course of the year? No, they're first in three point percentage, third in field goal percentage. However, Doc Rivers and that coaching staff said, oh, they don't defensively rebound really good. So we're going to crash every PJ every single time. Tobias, Tyrese, whoever, we're on the floor. And that is something that you never saw them do throughout the course of the regular season. Um, So I think that adds into the feel and obviously the results of a defense. Uh, If you may get one stop, you may get the initial stop. But when you're consistently not then finishing off a defensive possession, uh, the numbers start to look really bad. It's a great call. It's exactly, you know, that's the biggest thing you give up when you're a switching defensive team is rebounding. Everybody thinks it's a matchup. That guy will beat you off the dribble. Ah, that's a big deal, too. But the number one issue you have if you're going to completely switch is rebounding. And what happened is putting this team together late is that remember Jacques Vaughn was trying to play at times uh, allowing Cam Johnson and Mikel Bridges doing what they always did in Phoenix by staying with their guys on a high ball screen and telling Nick Claxton to get back. But there were, that created confusion. And, and it came back to remember the first time they played Philadelphia on February 11th. And nobody knew everybody. It was the first time they were together at the, at, at the Barclays Center. And they just played and they switched everything. And they were better at that. And I think Jacques Vaughn had no choice but to, hey, let's just let's do simple better. That's what he'd keep going back to all the time. And I think defensively, that's what why he had to go to that, why he had to stay with that, why he really didn't have a great zone defense. You know, they they didn't ever you see some teams get you saw the Sixers give the Nets problems in their zone. But the Nets weren't really organized defensively in their zone. He couldn't really go to that. I, I do think the adjustment, though, of what they did to Embiid will be interesting to watch the rest of the play on the next series. Will the Boston Celtics be playing very similar defense to the Nets? But, you know, as far as doubling Embiid, the difference will be that they won't do it all the time. But I think they will sprinkle it in and mix it up. The problem Jock had is that you, you couldn't be that cute with these guys. You didn't have that many options. You never had a training camp. Yeah, and you go back to, I thought, one of the more significant games of the season was the game in Boston when they were down 28 points and came back and won the game. They kind of switched up what they were. They kind of, you know, Jacques had been trying to put Nick Claxton a little bit more drop. A little, they were they were trying to be a little more yeah. sophisticated with their defensive schemes. And they were down 28 in the first half. And they kind of went in the locker room and said, all right, you know what? Forget it. Scrap it. Let's just go back to the way we played that first game against Philadelphia. When we didn't know each other, when we weren't trying to do anything sophisticated and just go out there and play instinctively. And, you know, they went on a run after that. They won a bunch of games after that. 
Um, and it, you know, and it ended a losing streak and it was a one of probably the best wins. I think probably the two best wins this year were the, the comeback in Boston and the win, uh, in Miami late in the season when you thought that was going to be significant. I'm talking about with the group that they had in the last two months, there were other, you know, good wins early in the season, but that feels like it's ancient history and we don't even need to go over that. But I do think, I mean, I, I was just pointing out the numbers being poor defensively, and probably that's why they didn't have as much regular season success. They seem to have better success in the postseason defensively uh, with that group. But I do think like the offseason's big because it, Nick Claxton is one of those, he's a rare player in that he's such a good rim protector and and can change a lot of shots. But at the same time, his strength is being able to get out on the perimeter and guard one through five. So he's not as comfortable dropping and being a rim protector. He wants to go out and switch. So do the Nets need to have um, a traditional rim protector type to play with Nick Claxton? Or do they have to teach him to be more of just a guy who will stay more in the paint and that will will sort of you know we see how Embiid was such a factor not in his blocking shots but in the fact that you just never felt like you could penetrate the paint because Embiid is patrolling out there does does Nick have to be that guy that sort of just deters you from getting in the paint because now you're not switching with him or he's not playing out of the perimeter, but that might help you rebound. If he's back, it might help you take away dribble penetration, which has been a big problem with this team. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see the direction that you have to go now with Nick Claxton. I think what you got to do in the NBA is you got to be good at not more than one thing. You know, you got to be good at, okay, you're switching. Okay. And when we say you're going to play and drop, well, you got to be good at that too. And if we tend to go to zone, well, be good at that. You want to be a good defensive team, be good at everything and do it with an edge and attitude and an aggression and know exactly what you're doing all the time. Predictability makes it easy for the, easier for the offense and you got to be careful with that. And I think I think the Nets need and um, need a little flexibility on that side of the floor. Again, come with extra time to be able to get your team together. Capper just said it in twofold. I was thinking that see as you were talking. One talking about pulling Nick Claxton out on the perimeter. He can he is very good at that. But you can't tell me that opponents are like, oh, well, if we force this switch. And bring up Nick's guys. He's gonna he's gonna switch off, and all of a sudden we have their big, who is a rim protector, pulled out in the perimeter. That not only affects you with your protection yeah. in the paint, but also with your rebounding. So that to me is add on to the factor of why there's defensive struggles. And to Capper's point, you got to do it all, and you and you have to have options and optionality in whether. It is with Nick and Nick being able to, okay, sometimes we're going to switch. Sometimes we're going to play in you in the drop. Sometimes we're going to, you know, off of ball screens, how you play that, where you want to be at the level of the screen or what you want to do, but also who else is there and, and give credit. Dayron Sharp, though, he he didn't see a lot of time later in the series when he got some run and got some minutes. I thought he did a really solid job, but there had never really been with this group at the later part of the season 
that type of option as a second big with Nick, whether to play alongside him or to back him up. Um, the Nets did a tremendous job, as, as we saw on many occasions, of Dorian Finney-Smith or Royce O'Neal playing in that five spot, going small, though long along all positions. But I, I think to Capper's point, like those are the, if you want to be an excellent defense, those are the type of things you need to have because in a playoff series, you got to make changes. You got to show different yeah, looks. Well- Exactly. But it almost they almost proved that they could do that because the putting together, they had a few days to put together their trapping defense of Joel Embiid. And look what they did. I mean, they were able to do that and be able to adjust and make those types of adjustments defensively. And then at times they played it straight up. They mixed it up. They have the capability of that to be an elite defensive team or what you were saying, Chris, uh, how can you get Claxton more around the basket? I think while well, you teach him it and and then you hold hold everybody accountable and probably need another player in that position also. Doesn't have to be the skill level of of Nick Claxton, but if you're going to go to another big, you probably got to be a guy that can p- patrol the paint uh, with 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 size and and also ability to rebound the basketball and to drop coverage. On, on the other side of the ball. Now, we know that th- the issue came up, especially late there in the playoff series, is when you have a lead and you're trying to close out a game. I mean, we've just seen the Nets go into these scoring droughts uh, with this group that would that would just destroy them and, and let the other team come back, take away big deficits. Um, it would in- inhibit the Nets' ability to come back in games. Um, when you look at the team offensively, and, and this will be – uh, you know, analyzing what happened and and looking forward to what you need to go. What was missing from the Nets offensive attack? You know, we know guys like Mikel Bridges jumped up to another level scoring the ball. Um, but what was, you know, aside from missing a lot of open threes, what was missing though, even late in the season, Sarah, from in your in your perspective, from the the offensive attack of this team and how that makes you think about going forward? Getting to the rim. Like I was, you know, game four, getting to the rim, getting to the basket. And whether you are getting a layup, getting fouled, forcing help, dumping it off to your big, penetrating kick out, um, that changes the dynamic of how you're playing offensively when you can get in the paint and be a rim pressure type offense. And they didn't have enough of that. And Spencer Dinwiddie is the one guy who could do that and whether he did it enough or not. And I also think this team was built and predicated on three-point shooting or this group. And I understood Jacques Vaughn wanted high-volume three-point shooting. And you can understand why with a roster littered with three-point shooters. But in the event, you are struggling from three to continue putting up threes and steadily just shooting three-point shots. You're never one to me as a three-point shooter who's been in slumps and been missing shots and been, you got to get to the rim. You got to get an easy basket. You got to get a feel. You have to have multiple people that can do it on the floor at the same time. Yeah. I think John Vaughn talked about that in one of his press conferences toward the end was like, we need multiple guys that can get to the rim. And yeah, exactly. And not just one and be threats of that. And then I would also, you know, say that this is, I always am going to circle this back to, to rebounding. This is a team that wanted to run. They thrived when they got early offense. You create some easy looks. Well, how does that, that comes from getting stops, getting a quick rebound and pushing the basketball. So if you're constantly struggling at times with your defensive rebounding, I think to me that everything is hand in hand. So it's factoring into the rhythm, the flow and how you want to play on the offensive side. You know, uh, 
if we start looking at the season in general, some of the things that have happened, we've just gone over now uh, the the things you want to see offensively, defensively, broke down the Sixer series, and now starting to move forward. Um, it did start earlier. I mean, obviously, the coaching change and the trade have now set you up for the future. I think let's just uh, spend a few minutes here on on Jacques Vaughn. And, and I think that obviously you can – you can go over things that happen in the postseason and strategy and you could nitpick things, but I'm not talking about that, but early in the year, you know, I think about that's one of the, the, uh, the events and what was a very eventful season is that um, the, the, the question of Steve Nash being around kind of, kind of reared its ugly head in the off season. And then team got out to a bad start and they made the change to Jacques Vaughn. But initially it was going to be a temporary change. It was just going to be an interim coach. Um, and then we know there were some other names that were thrown out there and some backlash and ultimately they settle on Jacques Vaughn. And I think that's what they kind of did. They settled on Jacques Vaughn, but then a funny thing happened when you settle, then you realize, wait a minute, Maybe this wasn't settling. Maybe this is the guy all along that's the right guy for the job. And they gave him the extension. And, and now he is, you know, at least he's got some, you know, uh, security for Jacques going forward. And he seems to be their guy now that's going into the offseason. He's going to be your coach next year. I mean, unless something crazy happens, he's going to be your coach. But I thought that um, from a standpoint of, where this organization was, the coach has got to answer the questions every day. The coach has got to be the face of the franchise. He's got to answer questions that may be more suited to ask ownership or the general manager in the, during the course of the season. But he's up there sometimes twice a day answering those questions. And Jacques Vaughn, until the bitter end this year, until the team got swept, always looked like he was fresh as a daisy and ready to attack the day when he got up there and faced the media. And, and maybe that's not all, you know, it's not always going to be pie in the sky, Ted Lasso, we believe, and you can get it going. But for the most part, that's what the Nets franchise is needed. They needed sunshine on a cloudy day a lot of times because Ooh. it really was a, a dark place they were in when Jacques took over and the Kyrie Irving suspension was happening and all this kind of stuff. And it just seemed like, you know, I, I just walked out of the room every day uh, pumped up and ready to go. And I think that's exactly what Jacques Bond provided this organization. I mean, there's nobody that, to me that's more uh, a sunshine personified than Jacques Bond, other than Sarah Kustak. So I'll let <laughs> Sarah kind of speak to that. See, I appreciate that. And I think that's to, to everything you said, I echo. I think that's precisely what this team needed especially through all the you know, tumultuous situations and circumstances they dealt with. And I think that also is, in many cases, we see so many of these new players, whether it's Bridges, we know that about Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, the list goes on. That's also their personality and their character. But yeah. I think this is going to be a really great opportunity, depending what happens, and I know we're getting into it in terms of the roster, roster you know, additions, subtractions, what it looks like through the summer, with an opportunity for a training camp, what that looks like. 
We've talked about areas of adjustment. We've talked about the changes that come when you're coaching and playing and planning for a regular season and a regular season game as opposed to a playoff series. And ultimately, at some point, how the Nets look and how the roster looks, that's it's that's what it's going to be about. It's going to be determined in the postseason. But I think for Jacques Vaughn, he resonates with the players because of that and how he shows up, how he approaches each day. Um, so the opportunity for him to be able to go through a summer league and go through an offseason and have his training camp set and, and what that looks like to me is is going to be um, very exciting to see what that looks like for him now having that type of opportunity because that changes how you're going to coach and how you're going to run and structure yeah. your team. It, it never felt like, it, 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 you're right, Chris. I, I just was always so impressed with his just his demeanor, his overall demeanor towards everyone. The fact that he immediately knew uh, all the media members' names, the way he addressed them, the smile on his face. The moment didn't seem too big for him. And I think they made the adjustment to have him the interim coach for a while, then started adding up things and saying, wait a second, when we had this guy in the bubble, the players responded like this. When we've seen him like this, he's carried himself with this type of uh, dignity and optimism uh, and, you know, we watch him with the players now and, and, and strategically and all that. Hey, listen, this is the guy. He, he's really, really deserved it. He's got a nice opportunity, and yet he'll be like every other coach in the NBA right now. They're, they're all good, right? And then it's, it's a challenge, and you've got to um, be able to consistently uh, have success, and yet uh, I'm with you guys and say, boy, you know, get, give him a full year. And uh, give him a training camp, give him a full season and got a few more players and let's see what happens. And I also think that, you know, he's shown the ability to, you know, talk about having, having to have two-way players a lot of times. We, we got into this specialized coaching thing a while back where, all right, this guy is a developmental coach that can coach young players and get a, a, get a group going or, well, we need another guy who's going to be able to relate to star players if we have a star-driven team. Jacques Vaughn, you, you mentioned, Cabra, the bubble. I mean, the bubble nets were uh, an under, you know, were, were an overachieving group. I mean, that right. was a group where the stars didn't play and guys were out. Um, and Jacques showed the ability to jump in there and, 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 and be able to coach those guys. And then remember when things were going well this year, think of how he got to Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie Irving, that jump he made after Durant went down, the team struggled for a little bit. And they were on that West Coast trip. And he was able to break through to Kyrie Irving. And you had that uh, promising game in Phoenix where they almost they almost came back big in the fourth quarter. And then Kyrie came back the very next night and had a huge game against Utah. And, and they win and they go on a, a little run there. And that kind of sparked Kyrie. It eventually led to him asking for a trade. And they end up, you know, <laughs> forcing the the rebuild in on the fly. But I, I feel like Jacques has had that ability to, um, you know, he, 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 he was, he was a guy that got through to Durant. He got through to Kyrie Irving. He also coached teams that did not have star players. And I think you need that. I think you, this way you build, you know, Sean Marks always talked about building a culture. And then sometimes your, your culture has to be able to withstand different personalities coming in and out. But at the top, you've got to have some stability and an ability to, go different directions while still maintaining your culture. And I thought the Nets did a great job the last couple of months of the season. And you, you touched on it, Sarah, about high character guys coming in. 
I mean, Mikkel Bridges and Cam Johnson were at a school in Brooklyn that the day after they showed up in Brooklyn, like, and that hadn't happened before in a while, in a while. And I just feel like there was a, a shift of the, the borough, the organization, the community was first and, and then everything else falls into place. And to me, that's a culture. That's a culture. And I think Jacques Vaughn set the tone for that. And I think Sean Marks tried to bring in players that would fit into that. I, I just thought it was a remarkable cultural, cultural sea change in a very short period of time. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's why there's optimism for the future, not just about Jack Vaughn having a training camp, not just about it, it, There's a multitude and layered um, of, of reasons and areas and players that you point to that say, okay, this gives an optimism. I think for Nets fans, um, the big adjustment and why it is a challenge and why it is hard after this this year that has felt like multiple seasons is because the the shift in the ultimate goal, the shift in expectations goes from a championship caliber team to what does a team look like <clears throat> as you build towards that in years to come. And I think if you're being realistic about it in what the roster could look like until changes are made at this current point with this group as as they headed into this postseason looking to to really push the 76ers team in the first round that was the big change and the adjustment from the expectations you had with the prior group to the expectations of this group despite having a lot to be optimistic about and of course a, a lot of positives that came from how in which a very uh, tough situation was handled and and turned into what it is at this point. And and that's why I'm interested and excited watching what goes on in in, in the next several months and really in the next couple of years, because I think this is what management has proven to do very well. But listen, when when, when Sean Marks came in, he had nothing to work with. He had nothing. This was going to be the most impossible job ever. Well, he made it possible and he found a way. And then, you know, you have an opportunity to take a Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant. You can say what you want. Well, you know, Kyrie was a pain in this or whatever. Everybody would have done it. Every he wanted to be in that position to have to do that. So here they are, the Nets. They're not like where they were before, yet it's going to take creativity. It's going to take I'm sure there's going to be some lessons learned from the past. And maybe you might you might not go for that guy that might not, you know, might not be as reliable as the next. You might, you know, because you got character really does matter. So I think this is just a fascinating time. It's an exciting time. And the flexibility that management has and their creativity and ownership, uh, you've got to have ownership in line and willing to at times spend some money here to make this move happen and things like that. It feels like the Nets have that. They've done it before. They have experience in it. And I'm looking forward to what's going to happen next. Interestingly, as we look at the tools at Sean Marks' disposal to improve the team this year, we're talking about 11 first-round picks between now and 2029. Only one of those picks is protected. Um, number of second round picks and a number of players on the roster who it could be appealing to other teams, I think. So let's get into that. 
in terms of, we know that their own free agents, Cam Johnson is a restricted free agent, so they have control. They can match whatever offers are out there. I think Seth Curry is the only uh, other guy that's just a, he's an unrestricted free agent. Um, You know, I know I can't make a lot of movie references to you guys because, you know, you're not, you're not up on that kind of stuff, but I will, I will. So the cultural phenomenon that is succession, I don't know if you've heard of this show, you know, succession. Yes, yes, I've heard of it. Cabra's heard of it. Sarah doesn't get HBO. Um, But there was a, there was a a recent episode just last night as we taped this, where it was called Kill List. And it's, it's kind of about cutthroat corporate mergers and things and, and how when, when, when there's a corporate takeover of another company, that there's some redundancy amongst the, the players. And, you know, they had a, I think it was a kill list in terms of the, the company taking over, looked at, all right, where are some of these redundancies? And then people were worried they were going to lose their jobs. Um, when the Nets sort of put this team together on the fly after the All-Star break, we were talking about this on Saturday, Capper. It, it they they weren't putting together a team at the time. They were basically just trying to. All right, we we have a situation here. We have a problem. We have to we have to move Kyrie Irving and we have to move Kevin Durant. So we're not worried about. All right, this guy fits with this guy. We're building. We need this. We need that. No, they just wanted assets. It's like a corporate takeover. We just we're buying a company for the assets. And then we'll figure out how those assets can help us in another way. But there was a lot of redundancy. So, I mean, I feel like when I look at this roster, I see a lot of people I like. I could make a case for liking every guy and not being like, well, they need to get rid of that guy. Whereas I haven't felt that way in a long time about a net team. You know, there have been a lot of net teams, and we can, you can think about it, in recent years where the season ended and you went, yeah, I don't need to see that guy anymore. Or I don't think they need that. That guy needs the addition by subtraction. He should be out. I look at everybody and I go, I would love all these guys. I can make a case for saying. And I think that probably puts Cam, uh, uh, puts, uh, puts Sean Marks in a, in a good position, right? Because he's got a lot of guys that, well, if I have to move them, I can move them. But if I have to keep them, that's good too. So Sarah, what would be, guy- well, going forward, who are the guys though that would be like, these guys I have to have? Like See, I'm I can't not- believe you're about to make me make a kill list with this, with, <laughs> with all of my favorites. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, it's not, a, but, but you do no. agree though, right, Sarah, that there's just, the team is made up of it, too many of the same thing. I, I, exactly. And I, I fully understand. Those were excellent comparisons, despite the fact I, I don't watch Succession. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I feel like I have a great you're watching gauge. Film. You're watching film. Yeah. I am. That's our Succession. NBA playoffs like a version of the Succession. <laughs> Tops on the list to me when I look at this group. And to your point, I think every player on this roster, and I don't always feel this way, but but you understand the value. Um, and we're all always also a little bit biased because we get to know them as people, as human beings. Um, so you want the best, you hope for the yeah. best. But this is on the business side of things. Number one on my list, if I... In Sean Marks and in his group and his staff in the front office is re-signing Cam Johnson. I would have told you that before the postseason began, but after watching him, not only in a playoff stage, 
but also how he was able to thrive. And and I think we all knew this. We talked about it a lot. What we saw to him with the Nets, you need to also put that into context that he was coming off injury and had only played 17 games for the Suns this season. So not only did you see him at a stage where he was still working his way into the season, getting back fully healthy, but the way he performed in the playoffs, obviously what he has done you know, throughout the course of his career to this point. Um, The size, the age, the length, the skill set. And, oh, by the way, he's also best friends and called twin with your other best player in Mikel Bridges at this point. Um, So to me, there's a ton of factors that I would say that that's your number one priority. Um, I have loved the growth of Nick Claxton, and we've talked about him a lot, how you utilize him, what you do to help him. But I... And I think all of us, not only so impressed with the jumps he made in the leaps this season, in this season where he was knock on wood, fully healthy and able to, you know, be available to the to the amount that he played 76 regular season games, um, but doing so after signing a contract. And I think that's always a question mark of, of when a guy signs a big deal and his first big deal. OK, well, how does he respond in that offseason? How does he come back that next season? Is that that level of hunger? And you not only saw the hunger and motivation and the growth, um, but just the maturity and what you could expect out of a young player like him. And I'm not going to keep going. You know, to me, I'm a huge Royce O'Neal fan. I think he's a winning player. I understand that he did not make threes in a, you know, in the same type of efficiency that that you saw throughout the course of the year in the in a couple of those playoff games. Um, but Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith, to me, those are those are valuable players that bring so much on the defensive end of the floor, and you hope that their comfort level, you know, here in Brooklyn continues to thrive. And I think after that. Um, and again, I'm not, you know, th- those are the ones that jump out to me. I think it's prioritizing whether it's three-point shooting, whether it's the offensive side, whether it's the defensive side, what limitations do these players have and how does that fit what you need with the others around them? But to me, that's the priority. You know that this league is about three-point shooting. Um, and, and so that will always be the case. But we've already talked about, okay, what are you doing at a position to get players that can run and organize an offense, get downhill, attack the basket, um, complement that with three-point shooting, what they do in terms of versatility and guarding multiple positions on the defensive end, all of those things, whether it's rebounding, how you search for guys that will help fortify you on the glass. There's a lot of areas I think you, you look at and a lot of pieces in all of these players that bring so much value. And so whether it's value to a Nets team or value in acquiring other assets, I think that's, you know, where where the puzzles and, and the pieces, the chess pieces, whatever, you know, comparison you want to make with it. I, th- I think that's where the questions start to come into play of how that looks and, and who you are moving or fitting in and making this a roster that has a lot of those needs and less areas or less holes to fill. I, I, so just let me clarify. If Sean Marks gets a call about Mikel Bridges, you're not hanging up the phone? Or are you including Mikel in with the Cam Johnson? Oh, I'm including Mikel. Yeah. Oh, okay. I wasn't oh, sure. Because you, you, oh. you, you mentioned him as an aside to Cam Johnson, but you didn't. You oh, didn't I said because he's your, your best player. Order. Oh. Yeah. 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 No. The, the, he's, he's, he's <laughs> so, the guy. He is, he is the guy that you are building around. And to me, He's the player that everything, everything starts. He's the son and everything else is going to revolve around him. And you would love to compliment, you know, him. And I'm not saying that he always has to remain your best player, 
But with what you have now, the foundation you want to build, um, without a doubt to me, he is he is a guy that you want on your team and in your locker room um, for multiple reasons. Has the superstar era, and, it, and then, you know, some people would say error, uh, has that soured you on going out and getting a top flight player? And knowing no. that if you're going to get a superstar, uh, in, not in free agency, but in a trade, that you're going to have to, you know, the, the, the bar was set last year with the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert type deals, the Kevin Durant deal. Um, is, is it, is, was it just the particular person? Cause I think you just got to kind of, you got to take into account the individual and, and not be sh- and not shy away from the fact to think, well, a star player can't work anymore. We've got to grow our own stars as opposed to, you know, because, because we've been burned by it before. Are we burned by it before and don't no, want to go that no, route? No, no, no. Because you I'm do someone, have to give up see, something. I believe in love. I believe in yes. love. And you just keep believing in love <laughs> and, and keep pouring into that. Yeah. That's just because your my, heart gets no. broken. Maybe you, maybe you, you just, need a you few months of just playing no. the field. <laughs> Everything <laughs> will matter. Yo, you just, you keep, you keep churning. You keep churning. Because I'm going to throw a name. Because I don't want to throw a name because this is a, this is a, uh, I guess we're we're not allowed to really comment on on trading for players not on the net roster or free agents out there, but there are have been some names bandied about. Um, I don't know if is you know time? this. Sarah. Is it time to bring up time, well, Cara, uh, Sarah? I don't know, Kusa, you, <laughs> you don't know that. Uh, yeah, well, well, here, here, we'll we'll talk around it as well. Here, I don't know if you realize, Capper has a has a a speech thing, and he'll tell you this. Yeah. Um, where he has trouble with L's. Yeah. Oh, I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. Forget. Strike it from the record. The jury will, the jury will, uh, will not hear what I just said. He has uh, trouble with a particular letter in the alphabet. And if there <laughs> was a player out there, well, no, career. but I don't want to say. That. I don't want to say it. I don't want to say. I don't want to say the letter. I just want to. Yeah, let I have a speech impediment. Yeah. Yeah. So he has a trouble with a certain letter. And if there was a player that had a let that letter was mu- appeared in his name multiple times, it's a oh. difficult name for him to say. So it'd be tough for him. But um, you know what the beauty of a superstar C is? What is, is it, that so? often they just you recognize them by one name yes. and their first name. Yes. Uh, so I'll do that some too. people, if if Capper, and I'm not saying Capper, I'm not saying you have issues with this, but if Capper was calling Milwaukee Buckets games and he didn't say it at very smoothly, he could just start saying Giannis. Yes. That's what I do. So there's That's other superstars yep. that you wouldn't have to say their, yeah, their exactly. last name. Yeah. You could just, you know. We can work around that. But I also think it's important to know that the, that <laughs> that sometimes these players sometimes these players that are known by one name are also known to be high character guys yeah. who have been team first and community first, and Isn't so I think that key? also plays into whether or not you go after somebody. Yeah, I think that is a huge factor. I think that is the I think that is the big one right there. That is the one. Yes, you need a, uh, to upgrade or maybe get a more talented player here or there. What? type of person is this guy in the big picture and you're saying well uh, i you know we go back a lot of years chris and there have been a number of free agents that have come through the nets pipeline that they had great reputations coming in and they were it wasn't great when they were here not singling out one person there's been a few along the way it's 21 years and 
That becomes now the key is to making making sure the individuals that you might make a deal for uh, or the individual fits, you know, you know, it checks all those boxes as far as quality person, leadership, wanting to be here, all those kind of things. And uh, I think that's what uh, what what could come in play this this summer. Can I add one more thing onto that when you look at in in we're talking around this, but that's where if Mikel Bridges is your second guy, if he's your off guard in playing the two, his size then gives you a lot of leeway. And we've talked about a defensive lineup and what. A, so the fact you got a six six seven guy to go along with, if it's a more undersized guard who has played around that, but how, who he's playing next to, how that factors into th- like there. There's a lot of things that you look at with some of the pieces you may, and to your point, you know, in anything, if you are looking at a superstar, trying to trade for a superstar, I think you're going to have to give something up. Like that's, that's the way the game well, goes. I, that's the kind of the thing I was talking about with your kill list. It, the, the names you mentioned before, Sarah, if any of those guys are, are, are being demanded to get any sort of a player that we may be talking around, are, are you willing to part with any of them? One or like, are there certain guys you would not? And then if, 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 if that price is too much, if the other, the other side insists on one of those people that you don't want to part with, what is the other, what does the plan B look like? Is it trying to find some, some diamonds in the rough, uh, guys that can fill some of the needs that aren't necessarily the, the all NBA player? It's all, Chris, it's all of the above all the time, though. I think, I don't think you can go in there uh, and saying you have a specific plan that that is going to be automatic and this is what's going to work. I think, I think you're going at it in a way that you're evaluating potential trades, maybe a free agent, maybe things like that. Uh, You know, money-wise, there's got to be, there's some issues there also. You're thinking about players that maybe people don't know about possibly that's almost impossible now in Europe, but you're, 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 I think it's all of the above all the time to make a a roster really work. And and you can't be specific in saying, we just do it this way. Uh, There's gotta be, there's flexibility with this team. There's gotta be unbelievable flexibility with how you look about uh, at building things. There's a player we haven't talked about. There's a guy named Ben Simmons. You just think it's impossible for him to be a player again? Or, you know, like, mm-hmm. where do you see, where do you guys see his future? Is that something you're going to, are you willing to give it another look? Do you think you got to try to unload this? What do you think? You're, what, what are your thoughts on Ben Simmons? That's a layered That's and complicated a tough one, question. <laughs> similar. Well, no, just similar similar to C's question about what's plan B. Well, it's it's a ton of moving parts because one thing is is linked to another and it's all predicated on a lot of circumstances that may not just be a a black and white decision and I think the same thing goes, you know, I I was one of the people before the start of last season um that was so high on the potential of what Ben could bring to the lineup. And I think, you know, in framing that in his fit in his, the skill set was based off of who and how he was playing around and fitting into the context of the roster as we knew it with the Nets, which clearly has changed and likely will change throughout the course of this off season. Um, But it's about getting back on the floor and it's about 
getting back to a player that we once knew him to be in the baseline of that. And, and one of it is, and it's both physical and, and mental health. And that's a factor in it. Ben has spoken about that. But I think, you know, there was flashes this season when he was playing that you thought, okay, th- this is part of what you were talking about. This is part of, I say the universal, the part of hope that he was returning to that. And then there was also flashes that whether because of the physical ailments, um, there was severe limitations uh, that seemed to cap exactly the point that he can get to. And so I think for us to try and speculate uh, how we can help, what he can get back to, a lot of it is just him getting back on the floor. And even once he does... It's all speculation, right? It's too hard. But it's a a major factor. That's a a, a major factor. You can't not talk about it. Or address it or think about it. It's a, a huge contract that is part of what the Nets have been trying to figure out. You even look at this past playoff series. You look at throughout the course of the season, how many times, you know, and I think because we became so accustomed to it, uh, that. but how many times could you look and say, man, they, they can really use a guy that helps facilitate, push the pace, play basketball, you know, in a way yeah. that the Nets wanted to play and guard, you know, one through five on that end of the floor. But that also you know, didn't come into fruition for, you know, mainly health reasons, but also just even that that comfort level and confidence of, of who he was as a player on the floor. Yeah, and I think also you're looking at, what, you know, what was the issue? If it's a health issue, then that can be fixed, or at least you can get it to a point where you, you think you've got it fixed out. But then there's just the game, and you talk about getting the confidence back, the swagger back. Um, the, the ability to see him play at the kind of level we saw when he was an all-star player with the Philadelphia 76ers. I think in the time he played with the Nets this year, he kind of was just a role player. And I don't know how much of that had to do with his health, um, but he was, you know, the ba- he was basically playing backup five. It was, it was hard for him to really play in lineups with Nick Claxton. Um, because you had two guys you didn't really have to guard on the perimeter. That makes it really tough on the other players that are on the floor. Um, yeah. I don't know what his value has in a trade uh, because of that contract right now. Um, I almost just look at it as it, like like we went almost an hour and didn't talk about him. Um, not that I'm, I'm sure the net uh, management is going to be talking about him, um, but I almost feel like it's going to be, it, it's going to be something that, um, potentially could be really great or you just, it's, it, but it's great, but don't plan around it. I, I almost feel that's what it is. It's like, it, it, we can't plan around it, but it could be good, but we don't know. Exactly. But or, I don't think you can I mean, plan around and it, it. And it. And it doesn't appear this way, but we've been around the league enough to know that you start talking about untradeable contracts that all of a sudden get moved or the player finds a new place, or someone feels like in a circumstance, which is initially what we were saying, oh, maybe in a different environment, this player may feel different and perform different. And so, you know, for as much as it seems like a a tough contract to move, different organizations and different teams are always in circumstances that, you know, you never know exactly how that works or what could happen or the needs of other teams in certain times that, afford you an opportunity to make some some decisions yeah. that help benefit your team in certain areas. There always seems to be a taker at some point. <laughs> We've seen that with guys too, right? Or just grow. 
man, I didn't think anybody give this guy a third chance or a fourth chance. And it just happens. Or maybe they just look, you know, sometimes it could just be to make the, make the money work, you know, in a trade. Um, the other thing the Nets have at their disposal, we talk about the draft picks. Um, they have an $18 million trade exemption. Uh, and so they're going to be able to, to take in more money than they get back in deals, which, which is also very valuable. I mean, those things were created in some of these trades that were made. Uh, these are certainly things that are valuable, especially when you look at some guys around the league that maybe other teams don't want to continue to pay. Maybe other teams are going to have to do a sign and trade and they don't have the, the, the room to do it. Um, that's another valuable tool. I think at Sean Mark's disposal. Yeah, all of the, absolutely, see. And, and I think that all circles back to a valuable tool, but it's all about tools and it's all about the, the different the different looks at it, what the landscape is this summer um, for the front office. And that's that's why they get paid the big bucks. Uh, yeah. Because it, 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 it's, it's really challenging because there's a variety of different lanes, areas, you know, places you can go down. Um, in terms of what the roster may look like and how you're looking to improve it, to change it, and what you do, whether it is with the money, whether it is with picks, whether it is through trades, whether it is through free agents you're going to sign, clearing up, you know, different roster spots, who you really want to keep and who you need to keep based on who you're bringing in. And so, um, you know, and even what the draft looks like and who you end up bringing in, what do some yeah. of your younger prospects um, grow into? And in what of these younger prospects we've seen this season, do they value in ways that they think could continue helping this organization? helping these lineups uh we saw the the you talk about young players and nets right now have i think 21 and 22 in terms of the the picks in the draft and whether or not those will be used in a trade uh if they'll use them on players we talked about the leap that nick claxton made uh going from last year to this year uh a kind of a polarizing player for the for amongst net fans um has was cam thomas so can he make that similar type jump uh, like Nick Claxton made? Because um, we, we see he does something that, that's really hard to find. Somebody just that can score the way he can. Um, can he make a similar jump? Because if there's anybody it seems like can improve their game, maybe not they improve their scoring, but improve the other aspects of the floor that make you valuable – and I don't know if it's going to be with the Nets or it's going to be with somebody else, but he certainly is an intriguing player to watch. Camp yeah, Thomas. I mean, to think about the the highlight moments he's had as a member of the Brooklyn Nets, and that's going back to his rookie year. Someone who can score on anyone at any time is a tremendous value and has the steady nature, the composure. I think his, you know, his demeanor and disposition is something that can be a value on a team. Do I think he can make that jump or make a jump? Absolutely. Because even what we saw from his rookie year, you think about an area from his game as rookie year that in the idea of playing off Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving was, can he improve his three-point shooting? Can he improve his catch and catch and shoot from the three-point line and to shoot 23% from three is rookie year and jump that up to over 38% this season and in tough, some tough three-point looks off the dribble, off the move, you name it. Um, this is a player who we already saw made those improvements. To me, it's the buy-in that he will have. I think there's so much focus when you talk about Cam Thomas 
on the defensive end, which is part of a factor. And I do think that's maybe not been an area that has been, had been emphasized enough through the early part of his, you know, early part of his basketball career and collegiate career, you know, the year that he had spent at LSU. But to me, it's also the, how do you, how do you play within the flow of the offense and function in a, a scoring way, but still be able to facilitate, be able to make plays for others, but also keep the ball moving. Because when the Nets offense, and quite frankly, any offense you look in the NBA is at its best, it's when the ball is popping and moving and everyone's touching it, everyone's making quick decisions. Whether you're going to penetrate and drive, make a play, shoot, or pass it. Um, Putting a defense in rotation, that's where you're always going to get your best shots. Everyone's going to feel as well. Even if a guy's on the floor and playing amazing defense, you got Dorian Finney-Smith or playing tough, tough defense and, and only taking one, one field goal, attempt, but they're touching the ball every time. That matters. That matters with the ball having energy. And so I think for Cam, there was often times that it's, it wasn't just about making a play for us, but can you just keep these offensive plays moving and can you keep the possessions moving and can you play at the pace in the half court? It's not just full court, fast pace, but half court pace. And that's the stuff to me where when you're on the floor with other really excellent players um, or playing in that second unit, they can get shots themselves. How do you still be as much of a threat to score and much of a threat for others and keep the offense flowing and functioning how it was when you're on the floor? And to me, that's that's the jump I want to see defensively. Absolutely. But that this is the jump to me offensively that I think he needs to make coming into this next year, regardless of who he's playing for, if you want to be on a winning team and a team that's going to win and going to compete. That's really well said because I, 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 I think there's a tendency to immediately go to the defensive side of the floor when you're thinking of Cam and you're thinking, hey, listen, he's got to get better defensively, which he does. But also how he plays offense is important too in the big picture. Unless he's going to be and just sees himself as a future uh, sixth, seventh man that could come in and maybe get buckets for a team in the start of the second quarter and do that. I again, the Claxton comparison is is interesting because if you would ask me about Nick Claxton last year, I'd be I'm not sure. You know, I think he could be a pretty good player. He's got a little edge to him, but he's not that healthy. He's fitness. He's you know all those things. And so he really surprised me. So I, I, I would never say never, but uh, I, I think Cam Cam Thomas is a special type of scorer. I think it's important for him to understand what it means to be an NBA or how to be. I don't know this though because I'm not around him, but I just know for young players sometimes how to be a pro. You know, like what are you going to do this off season? What is your what is your day to day routine? Maybe it's a great idea for you to stick around Brooklyn a ton this summer so that so the staff knows how serious you are about becoming a better player or, or taking it to another level. Maybe it's a little of that stuff. I'll st- you know, again, we're not there. We don't know these things, but for young players that can sometimes, you know, benefit them to, to show the seriousness and the professionalism. They've understood what, what is needed and they want to do it because he does have a natural gift to score. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've seen that even when he was a focal point in summer league teams, he's been like all summer league two years in a row, you know, uh, the other, the other part of it is I always thought of, yeah, could he be that guy that's just a six man that comes off the bench and just scores a la like a Lou Williams or a Jamal Crawford. Uh, but I think we saw that a little bit in the playoffs is that those guys have to be the, uh, instant coffee, as you used to say, they, they gotta be the microwave. They gotta, they gotta heat up quick. And sometimes I always felt like Cam doesn't heat up quick. 
Nah, you know, he's that's more a good like point. a he's more like a French press capper when you, yeah, you're not French, the cake cup that makes the coffee fryer. right away. He's an air yeah, fryer. No. You got to give them some time. They don't go right you know, away. Yeah, it takes a little time. So we'll see. I, and man, sometimes it just doesn't work out with one team, and the guy needs to go somewhere else and see how he fits personally. I don't know. It's 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 fascinating. But he, another one of those assets you're talking about. These are all assets. Somebody's gonna really like them. Somebody likes them out there. You know how like yeah. the scouts. All right, you know, they scout college guys, they scout other pro guys on other people's benches also. So you can't have a guy that can score like that, have that amount of 40-point games and not be interesting to one of the 30 other teams in the NBA. Come on. Uh guys, I I it's it's I, I wasn't so melancholy after the net loss, knowing that I would see you guys again um this year and in the coming days, and we were gonna do this podcast. Um, I really don't want to say goodbye and wrap it up, but I will. You, you want to just keep talking for hours? Yeah, Should we, we just do turn that, this into like a live thing that people can join us. <laughs> we may. That's an idea <laughs> down the road. Maybe, maybe once things we, moves start to be made and things start to happen around the draft, maybe that's a that's an interesting point there for you, Sarah. A live Voice of the Nets podcast where we can get you know people tweeting or calling in. I think there's a way to do that. Actually. Ah, Isaac here. Lee, our engineer, will 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 put him to the test. See if we can do that. Um, but thank you so much for doing this. Um, before we run, Sarah, is there anything that I know you've got like sixteen jobs? So is there anything that that we can tell the fans where to where to see Sarah Kustak? Well, you can recently? you can if you Soon? just want to hear my voice. Yes, you have and a podcast also, also, right? You guys can yeah join yes. me anytime you want. I have a podcast called NBA Pulse with iHeartRadio and the NBA, and we have it three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, with um, a variety of different guests. But we talk about the latest news in the NBA, and as you can imagine, throughout the course of the playoffs and postseason, a lot of it is is review and preview. For for many of these tremendous currently first round series, but as the playoffs continue, yeah, I'm some of the hot that news call. and you know, so uh, I'm so waiting yeah. for that call. A lot of NBA insiders on your show all the time. Hey, careful! I'm going to start with <laughs> both of you, both <laughs> of you. you need. I need Whatever it. Need. Have you both on? Uh, and 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 you've got you're always on like CBS Sports Network and We Need to Talk, some CBS yeah. Sports, um, yeah, and. That continues. Little Fox Sports. Yeah, all of it continues. All of it continues. Some NBA radio, a little bit of everything. But most importantly, just hanging out with you guys. Just hanging out with you guys. Me, Chris, you can find me at at Costco, um, (laughs) ShopRite, whatever my wife needs me to do. Uh, Playing fetch with Ace. Ace uh, in O'Connor Park, walking him. Yeah, that's kind of my, that's my season. Well, and also you got the new knee, which is going to help you uh, this summer when you're running around coaching kids because you have the Tim Capstraw oh, Basketball yeah. Academy Kepper, as well. Can I, I'm going to come back and, I'm going to come back and, and you work. Is that an overnight camp? camp? We'd like to have you back. You've, you know, you're tremendous. Since I don't have a place to live for a couple months, maybe I could just West run Orange. the dorm rooms. Is there dorm rooms? Now we got West Orange right here. You can go right there. <laughs> yeah, Capper's got some rooms for you. He'll he'll put you up as long as he can get you to speak at the camp, teach That's kids. Right. Uh, well, guys, really appreciate it. Uh, clear, we can take our baggies now and clear out, and uh, look forward to what should be a a fascinating uh, next few months. Uh, you know, forget about the you know what's going to go happen on the court over the next few months, but. Uh, 
you know, I don't know. I guess I guess you probably got to wait until the playoffs are over before we start to see a lot of movement in terms of what the Nets are going to do. So enjoy the postseason. And then uh, when that's all done, all said and done, like I said, you can hear me and Capper every occasionally on Sarah's podcast. Um, but otherwise, we'll have you guys back on. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Can't wait. Thank and, you uh, for having Sarah me. Sarah can go run her five, six miles. Although she probably did that already earlier this morning, right? Did that earlier I did. Today? I yeah. did. Not Time now to eat some candy. Yeah, yes. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Uh, I would I would ask you guys what you're binging or what you're listening to, but that stuff. Uh, Sarah, let me ask you this, because I always like to leave people with something that they can listen to or watch. When you're running, what's the go-to playlist for Sarah? What are some... What are the songs that get you in the mood and get you going to, to run, you know, that give you energy? Maybe you're listening to psych you up when you're driving over the Brooklyn Bridge going to bar. I'll State. give you my my playlist. I listened to this morning, had some Nipsey Hustle. It had some Ab Soul, uh, had a little Freddie Gibbs, had some Tupac. Um, what else was on there? Some SZA. Nice. I'm going through it. Some Jay-Z. Very similar to Capper's playlist for when he was out walking East yeah. today. That's what, yeah, that's what, that's what, like that's SZA. what, that's what I'm this SZA. morning's I led. Like yeah. Chills you down a little. You get yeah, up, man. get down, all that. But those were, I'm looking yeah. at the playlist now. I thought you were going to ask me about podcasts and I was just going to pump yours. <laughs> no, we don't need to. We don't need I'm to. also reading a book called Absolute Fear um, by Lisa Jackson. That, that I just started. Normally during the season, I don't read a lot of books that aren't like nonfiction, nonfiction. or whatever. And so I just started that. I'm the same yeah. way. I love I love a good novel during the summer. I don't go to it during the year because I feel like no, I, need to be I can't. More I can't focus. I probably should, but no. I always think I'd rather be reading work related things. Yeah, but but in the summer, it gives you time to to, to jump on that kind of stuff. Uh, all right, guys, thank you so much. We'll talk to you down the road. That's the the capper, Tim Cabstraw. Sarah Kustak, thanks to our producer, Steve Goldberg, producer engineer, Isaac Lee. Talk to you again next time. May take a little bit of a break, and then we'll get into some uh, long-form stuff. And then again, as things break during this Nets offseason, uh, we'll bring back our Nets insiders here to give you our perspective on it. So always appreciate you listening, tuning in, subscribing. I'm Chris Carino. This has been The Voice of the Nets. 